Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast with Cincinnati host Stephen Brittingham. Experience meaningful and in-depth interviews with Hollywood's most interesting people. Enjoy the show. You can receive all the latest episodes of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham delivered to your favorite listening device by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever happens to be your favorite podcast listening service. Don't miss out. Tune in. Hi, this is Carrie Mitchum. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond with your host, Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the show. Clips and music appear courtesy of... The Bold and the Beautiful, and Bell Phillip Television Productions. My special guest today is a man I have both admired and respected for decades, Jim Storm. I first saw him grace the small screen as Bill Spencer Sr. on episode number one of a brand new CBS daytime drama, created by the legendary production duo of the husband and wife team, William J. Bell and Lee Phillip Bell, titled The Bold and the Beautiful. The date was March 23, 1987. Jim had some incredible intensity on screen as Bill Spencer, but he also backed it up with often unexpected moments of tenderness. And I quickly developed an admiration towards his acting range. Excuse me, Mr. Forrester. A Mr. Spencer is waiting to see you? Mr. Spencer. Look, I don't have too much time. Well, this won't take much time. You said it was about Caroline? Yes, I'll come right to the point, Forrester. I don't want you to see my daughter any more. I was just on my way to get Carolyn's bridal bouquet. Why don't you go on in? Thank you. We should be starting any minute. Daddy, you're finally here. You look sensational. You're the most handsome father of the bride I've ever seen. Caroline, uh, there's something that I have to tell you. Prior to The Bold and the Beautiful, Jim was seen on another Bill Bell daytime production, The Young and the Restless, as Neil Fenmore. Jim's contributions go back even further 
to appearing on One Life to Live and The Secret Storm. Jim also appeared on a show with a cult status following even today, Dark Shadows, as Gerard Stiles. He guest starred on numerous primetime television shows such as The Rockford Files, Kung Fu, Police Woman, and Saint Elsewhere. As you might expect, he has also worked on film productions. What you might not expect to learn is that Jim Storm's talents and entrance extend onto a love for photography, which he first discovered at the age of eight with a gift from his father, a darkroom kit. He has taken remarkable and striking photos of the Los Angeles blues scene, but he has a strong connection to rodeos, taking photos of athletes, events, and capturing the spirit of rodeos through his camera lens. Jim has been quoted as saying, the heart of America is the open road. I am looking forward to learning more about his amazing career, his photography, his family, that actually extends back to silent film, and what it was like portraying the character of Bill Spencer Sr. I will also be sure to ask him about his guitar, that actress and chef Carrie Mitchum told me, who portrayed the original Donna Logan on The Bold and the Beautiful, he often had with him. It is my honor to welcome him to the show, and I'd like to go ahead and do that now. Jim Storm, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond, sir. It's a pleasure, Stephen, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. That's just really so well-spoken. Thank you very much. Well, you are most welcome, sir. It's a true honor and pleasure to be speaking with you today. I'm very excited to learn more about your amazing and incredible career. And Jim, your family has a strong connection to the silent film era. Would you please yeah. elaborate on this? And also, where are you from? Well, um, it, it all started back in uh, Santa Barbara, actually. My grandparents, uh, my my grandfather, I, I never him, and he died way before I was born. Um, he was a Shakespearean actor out of the out of New York at the American Academy of Dramatic Art. And my grandmother was a Floridora dancer, which was comparable to the Zigfields back in the day, where they never were permitted to show legs. Um, anyway, they, they had traveled and they'd heard about this new industry called uh, motion pictures. Uh, and they, they came out to uh, uh, California and settled in Santa Barbara to do these five reelers, five-minute reelers. And uh, that started his in motion pictures. He then later moved to Hollywood, uh, which was just starting. And he was with a company called the SNA studio, which later was owned by Max Sennett. Uh, he was a silent performer. Uh, he had a voice that was very glorious from what I understand. And so when talkies were coming in, unfortunately, he, uh, he got sick and passed away, but he was starting to get calls from, uh, uh, producers and directors who knew him and knew that the voice would be fine for the, the talkies. So, unfortunately, he, he passed away before he really got into working him. But his films, one of which is Black Beauty and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, were there in the uh, Library of Congress. 
So uh, he was, and actually, the, uh, honestly, wa- watching him, he was not stiff at all like they are in a lot of the talking, uh, the silent films. He had a really uh, kind of a an ease about work, and uh, so it was interesting to watch him and see see, see who he was. Thank you for sharing that, Jim. And your mother um, was groomed by studios to be competition for Mary Pickford, which has a strong connection with Charlie Chaplin. Uh, That's quite an accomplishment. Well, it's (laughs) the the Stepling brood, as they were called, where they would come on the sets and they they would... the stage manager would hide all the donuts. He said, to hide the donuts, the Stepling kids are here. And uh, <laughs> you know, they were young kids, and they, they'd come out on the set and everything like that. Well, my mother happened to be a very, very pretty young girl, and um, I think SNA picked her up and said, we want to groom her uh, to you know, be in competition uh, with Mary Pickford. And uh, they started, you know, she took dance lessons and singing lessons and all that. And she just really wasn't very much interested in it. She'd rather run the streets of Hollywood and hang out with her friends and, you know, have a child life. And so she just, uh, to her, her mother's, my grandmother, she said, you know, enough's enough. Let, let, her, let her grow up to be what she wants to be. And later on in life, she became, well, she was an extraordinary woman right from the get-go. So, um, you know, she, she had a... a fantastic life that uh, she loved the theater she loved motion pictures she just didn't want to be in business thanks so much for sharing all of that jim i really enjoyed Mm -hmm. listening to you share all of that background information about your talented family isn't it interesting jim when you think back to that time in the film industry when when talkies as as you know they were called uh, started to come on the scene that so many silent film stars just couldn't make that transition a lot of stars were were lost because of it. You know, they lost. The, they just they just had the not clear diction or weak voices. You see a very virile man with a very falsetto voice, and they they just couldn't cut it, and so they were dropped. And it, it's sad, you know. I mean, today you have uh, you know uh, people who would give them uh, lessons and train them to, uh, you know, lower the octave and stuff like that. But back then, they just didn't have the time for it. So, away well, well said, because today they could be trained properly. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But most of the time, you know, when you went from the theater from New York or Chicago or big city theaters, uh, you know, those, those actors were, you know, they didn't have microphones back in the day like they do on Broadway today. And, uh, you know, you had to be heard. And when I was a young actor starting out, uh, you know, it's a, you, you go to the back row, go to the back row, <laughs> you know, wherever it may be. <laughs> so, you know, and the company I was with in New York, uh, they were all classically trained actors. You know, they just, they just sang it right up to the, to the rafters in the mezzanine. So, uh, it, 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 you, you had a real advantage, but you also had a great instrument. So. It's, it's great. I was very excited to learn about your uh, interest and involvement with photography. It is a subject mm. matter that I enjoy um, participating in myself, and, and, and I enjoy uh, looking at the work of, of friends or colleagues when they share their photos. 
And um, it, it appears that your journey into photography or the very beginning of, of, of the seeds of, of in, enjoying and loving uh, photography started at a very young age. So I thought I'd go ahead and ask you to share the moment you received that gift from your father at a very young age of eight. Well, yeah, it, it's, a, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, I, I was, uh, there was a baseball glove, a first baseman's mitt. In Mickelson's uh, sporting goods store, where I grew up in the town where I grew up, and that's what I wanted for my birthday. And and when my father said, you know, what do you? And I said I wanted a first baseman. And he said, you know, when I was your age, uh, you know, what was really exciting for me was to know what I was going to receive and it just leave everything up to a surprise. And I said, yeah, all right, well, that's fine. So I got up the morning, and there the presents, and there's this big box and no baseball mitt, and I unraveled the the uh, big gift, and it was a, a darkroom kit. I had no idea what that was. And I and he said, yeah, it's a darkroom kit. Really, what, what he did, he bought the, the kit for himself, and uh, then he put it in the garage and, and built a darkroom. And, I, you know, I just kind of went about still playing baseball and hanging out. And one day... Uh, you know, he opened the, the door of the dark room and said, come on in here. I want to show you something. So I kind of ambled in there. He said, watch this. And he slipped some paper into this solution. And I watched it. And I saw this opera house from Columbia uh, in the gold mining country, California. It kind of emerged, this photograph. But I, I said, well, what is this? He says, it's a photograph that I took. And this is what you do in a dark room. Well, that image is still in my mind and my thoughts and I was absolutely amazed and realized wow that this is really this is something else later on not not that far along uh, you know I started playing with a, a brownie box camera and my parents had just come back from the book tour in Europe and uh, they brought me uh, a German camera which is something I wanted and and he saw to it that I got it and I still have the camera. It's in my uh, dressing drawer. It still shoots beautifully. It has a Zeiss lens and billow extension, and it's uh, it's just a classic. Um, and I started shooting film. And uh, I would say I probably really started shooting when I was about nine years old and, um, and been doing it ever since, on and off most of the time. But now I'm a diehard full-time photographer, so... Uh, you know, a lot of years in between, but uh, I have a, a lot of a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, we discussed your family's uh, background with acting, but when did that interest first develop for you? Uh, when I was playing the night cry, uh, uh, crier in the Christmas pageant, I guess I was about seven. Yeah, I guess about seven years old, maybe eight. I don't know. And uh, I went down to give baby Jesus a present, and uh, I keeled over. And next thing I'm known is that I woke up in the hospital with appendicitis and peritonitis had set in. And I thought, well, there was so much commotion, so much attention on me. I thought, well, this is a good gig, you know. So I, I thought, well, I'll just kind of hang out in the theater and always did little plays and stuff like that. And uh wasn't until high school I did a senior play and, uh, I hadn't really any aspirations of being an actor. I, you know, I, I wasn't really 
I'd heard the stories, of course, from Hollywood, New York, and from my my dad, my my mom, and stuff like that. So I was always versed in the theater and film, but I never really paid attention to it. And then um, I saw a Tom Sawyer film, and I went to my mom. My dad had just passed away, and I went to my mom, and I said, you know what, I think I could do that kind of stuff. And she said, if you're going to be an actor, that's wonderful, and you will have my support, but one thing you're going to have to know, you're going to have to study, and you're going to have to train to what it become an actor. Because it's not just getting up there and doing it. It's a way and how to do it. And I'll never forget, she was lying in bed and she sat up on the pillow and just said, that's, what's, that's what you're going to have to do if you want to do it. And so uh, I started, uh, you know, I founded an acting company and, and I was living in San Diego at the time. And that started me. And I built a theater in San Diego and started uh, trading the boards. And it just took off from there. And I... You know, there's the Globe Shakespeare Festival and uh, the Milwaukee Repertory. I came to New York and uh, just luck was absolutely, I mean, you couldn't have found better luck in, in a young man's career. And uh, I was in New York for about a week or 10 days and I was on Broadway for two years and uh, with a repertory company called APA. And that was an education beyond my imagination. So it's been a very, very good career. And, you know, a lot of people go into it and uh, don't have quite the luck that I did, but I had an enormous amount of luck. And, uh, and that started the whole thing. That started um, so many adventures that would be you know, down the road yeah. for you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some good, some bad, you know, but it's all part of it. But it, uh, I have no regrets over the career. I think it's, uh, you know, uh, it's a tough business. It's a tough business. And, you know, when it's going well for you, you can't believe how well it can go. But then there's the other side of it, too, where, you know, things don't go so well. And you learn to survive from it. That's part of what you do as an actor. You know? Well said, Jim. Very well said. Mm-hmm. Now, you've mentioned, of course, Broadway. But what about your earliest film or television work? What comes to mind when um, you know you think about that time of your career? Well, the, back in the sixties, I was um, in New York, and I got on a show called One Life to Live, and it was at a time which is really hard to believe. But actors went through the back door uh, of the studio; they they just kind of keep it kept it hidden that they were doing this kind of work, first of all, because it paid enormously well. And you were, I was, you know, when friends are, uh, you know, found out I was doing a soap opera or daytime television, uh, you kind of ostracized and saying, you know, you're selling yourself out. What are you really achieving? And, you know, there's so much, you know, all this art work. And so, but I, as Lucille Ball once said on a talk show, she said, you know what? You get any job that comes and you do it because of every job you're going to get an experience. Every job is an experience. And so I, you know, I talked it over with my family, my mom particularly, and she said, Jim, you got to do it. So I signed up and I, I did it. 
and uh, started working on One Life to Live and really, really enjoyed it enormously. Um, I was surrounded by people who really cared about me, uh, who would, uh, Lee Patterson being one who I remember would coach me, and Tony Ponzini, who played my brother on the show. Uh, and they would show me how to, you know, you're working with three cameras and how to move for those three cameras and how to bring it into the, to the lens and how to get your final shot. And, I mean, a lot of things. And it was at a time where you couldn't screw up the lines. You, you had a certain amount of time to get, you know, it was almost live television. It was just at the end of live TV. And, uh, so that was really, that was an incredibly learned, uh, educational moment in my life in, in television and film. And I, I carry it on today, you know, whenever I'm doing so, I mean, I, I, that's the, the, that's the basis of how I do my work. And this was all the way back in 1968, I believe. Yeah. 68. And you portrayed a doctor on the show. (laughs) Um, <laughs> Which that yeah. must have been an interesting experience for you. Oh God! Just don't give me any terminology, please. please. <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah. I played a doctor. I I don't know. I was I was twenty one or twenty two years old and playing a, this brilliant doctor from I think Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or something. I came from a you know kind of a a Polish family, and it was I don't remember the, the whole histories of it but it was it was quite an experience and some wonderful like i said earlier some just extraordinary people stepped up and you know just took care of me and when you decided to leave one life to live a very unique and interesting uh situation occurred in that your brother yeah. actor actor michael storm took over mm-hmm. your character, took over the role, but they did mm-hmm. it in a very, at the time, um, new and fresh way, didn't they? Yeah, it was uh, I, just a, a little, it's kind of made uh, daytime history how this whole came about. Because I, I, as much as I enjoyed the finances and the education, I really didn't want to do much, much of it. And I'll, I'll just paraphrase everything. Uh, they asked me for two years. I said, no. They said about a year. I said, no. They got mad at me. And they said, what about six months? And I said, I'll do six months with the possibility. I was very arrogant at the time. And uh, so I said, I'll do three months and see how it is. And uh, I loved the three months, so I, I stayed on. And at the end of the six months, I said, you know, I, I'm really, uh, my heart is in theater. And I have the opportunity of going off to Europe. And, and study theater and look at theaters and, you know, travel. And uh, so they said, well, we're going to kill you off. And uh, Doris Quinlan was the producer. And, and I said, well, I have, there's an actor down that's identical to me and he's my brother. And uh, so they said, send a picture. And Mike sent a picture and resume over to him, which was not very extensive at the time because he was a musician, not an actor. But... Um, and they liked him, and he screen tested for him, and they had some second some doubts about it, and then they watched him in person, uh, you know, just relating to the stage manager after the audition, and they realized, you know, this he has a great charisma and uh, personality, so they hired him. 
so they had a hospital fire, and they wrapped me up in bandages, and uh, they took the bandages off, and uh, Mike was there, and I was in London. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my uh, goodness. Yeah, he held it. He held uh, He's on One Life to Live for 27 years. That is something else. And yeah, that whole yeah. setup would be used, as as you mentioned, this would be something that would be used on daytime down the road, but also primetime. Dynasty did this with oh, the character of Stephen Carrington. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things, you know, it, it, the, the thing that troubles me about the daytime scene is that, you know, daytime finance nighttime television through advertising. And for years, and even on radio, uh, it was a, a real pillar of economic stability for the networks. I mean, they really, you know, these, these, and, and they did, that's what they did. And uh, it always got a back-ended thing, like it wasn't held up to what it could have been or should have been or anything like that. But the truth of the matter is, in, in the early days of uh, a live tele- uh, 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 the television series, as we know it, the 13-week syndrome, um, you know, it was financed by, you know, daytime television. And uh, so there's a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of people poo-poo it, but there's a wonderful story about, my brother would tell me about, Sammy Davis Jr. uh, came on One Life to Live. Uh, He did love the show from the beginning, and they somehow... He had a part, and they asked him if he'd do it, and he said he'd love to. And he was sitting in the wings, uh, and Mike was standing next to him, and he he turned to Mike, and he said, You know, Mike, I've played for kings and queens. I've played for presidents. I've I've played Vegas every... I don't think I have ever been as nervous as I am right now. And he said, There's just something about this that just makes me... Very, very nervous because I've never done it before. And I'm really, really nervous. And of course, Mike said, you know, (laughs) that's pretty hard to believe that from Sammy Davis, but he was very honest about it. And and, uh, Mike just said, you know, the countdown happens, you get your mark and say your lines. Yes. Yes. um, (laughs) It's uh, doing daytime, as you know, uh, Jim, is, is. much more challenging and even more difficult than than some folks may uh, first imagine. Well, it, it, you know, Stephen, it, <clears throat> it used to be. It isn't anymore. Uh, it, you don't need to know your lines. Uh, you can stop anytime, and they cut it. And, and you know, you have difficulty with a line. Uh, you know, they'll they'll patch it in. Uh, it's not that difficult. It, it doesn't have the the technique or the demand that it did when I first started out. When I first started out, there was no, there was, I mean, you hit, you, you said it, you know, and there was no room for error. There was a lot of pressure, an enormous amount of pressure. And, uh, and it's amazing how fast, uh, you know, how quickly you learn. Uh, but today, because of the technology, um, you know, it doesn't matter. I see. And you also found yourself on another daytime television show, The Secret Storm. I thought I would ask you if there was any specific memories you have of that time uh, yeah, during your career. Yeah, I, I have one. Terry Kaiser. Terry Kaiser was the actor's name. And uh, he was wonderful. He was a really, really 
charming guy, and we got along famously. We both came on the show at the same time, and, uh, you know, we're up on top of the CBS uh, rooftop just kind of talking and, and running lines and getting, because we're both Viet vets in the hospital. And um, we came down to shoot the scene, and we're lying in bed, and we start the scene, and they said, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, cut, wait, wait. You've got the roles reversed. We <laughs> said, "What? So you're you're not playing that. You're playing him, and he's playing you. And of course, his role was much more extended than mine. So we had to reverse it. So they had to go back and and uh, reshoot it, and you know that that kind of thing. So, but it worked out well. But that's really the only thing. I I enjoyed the show tremendously. I don't have a lot of big memories about it, but uh, that was one of the big ones. The first day getting the wrong character, I thought was really apropos. <laughs> well, you know, there's another show, Jim. Um, talk about uh, leaving your mark on, and that would be Dark Shadows. Mm -hmm. uh, this <laughs> yeah. show that remains so popular today. I have to confess up front, Jim, that I've, I've never seen an episode of Dark Shadows, yet I've mm -hmm. always heard about it. I mean, since I was a boy, I I've heard of Dark Shadows. And you know yeah. what? Perhaps I'll sit down and, and, and give it a view, because um, it seems to be intriguing me a lot lately. Yeah, it was, it, it's, an, it's an extraordinary uh, program. I, I don't quite understand the longevity of it. Uh, it broke rules and boundaries, and Dan Curtis was just a man possessed and drove the entire show, and, and just, he was magical. And he technically he had people doing things with the, the cameras and sound that would be never done before, the green screen being one. Uh, he, he was a remarkable man. And there again, I mean, there was a family. I mean, people just, you know, we, get, we couldn't wait to get studio. We had a, such a wonderful time, and I don't mean to sound Pollyanna about it. I, it was truly actors that really loved what we were doing, and we had a wonderful time. And the studio, as big as a postage stamp, but what they accomplished with it was phenomenal. And, uh, you know, I'm very thankful to fans and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren, you know, who still recognize it and still love it, and uh, the characters and it it was it's it's it, it, it's amazing. It's just amazing. It really is because um, I I can pick up on uh, the fans' devotion to the show or or how much it still means to them or they have memories of watching it years ago and they still cherish it today. So that mm -hmm. that must be very thrilling for you to to know that you were a part of that um, that show all these yeah, years later. It, it, it's a real honor because, uh, you know, fans could be very fickle and, and uh, one day they love you, next day they don't know who you are. And that goes with the territory. But I have to say, 50 years we've been doing these, uh, these, these parties, events, both in New York and Los Angeles, for 50 years. And there have been, you know, a thousand people, 2,000 people, uh, you know, coming to these uh, weekend events, and uh, they know more about the show than I ever did. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, there's a, a, a wonderful story about uh, we were in the show uh, going from the past to the future to the, 
it got so confused and so crazy, nobody could remember what was going on. And we, after the one show, we all go upstairs and we read the next day's script. And it just was, and we were all boggled. The director was boggled, everything. And David said, David Selby said, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'll, I'm going to find out what this is down. He goes downstairs, goes outside, and there are always young people out there on the street wanting to see us. And he's talking to them about where does it go when you do, and they knew more about the show than he did as far as the chronological order. So he got it in his head. He came back upstairs and we re- up the upstairs and we wrote the entire script from <laughs> Oh, wow. It's just completely nuts. And, uh, you know, there was key points were being missed. And, you know, it was the fans that said, no, 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 that doesn't happen there. This is what, you know, and so we wrote it. And that's how we kept doing it. Now, was the show uh, very popular at the time that it aired? Because obviously it has a cult following today. But do you recall no. the overall audience uh, reaction while it was actually airing? It was 13 weeks was going off the, uh, the show, the first 13 weeks. ABC's ever canning. And Dan Curtis, he told us a story. He's standing in the shower. And he said, uh, you know, he called the head of uh, ABC and said, give me 13 more weeks. And they said, I don't think so. We, we, you know, it's, it's pretty tight. So Dan was standing in the shower and he thought, what can I do to make this thing spark and, and something? He said, you know what? I've always liked the idea of vampires. I'm going to throw a vampire in this thing and see what happens. <clears throat> so he, he something and they, you know, cast it and they found Jonathan Fred and they put him on there. It was like overnight and bang, the show became the number one show for four years running. And finally, it teetered. The, the Gomer Pyle came in and took its place. But it was like off the charts as far as uh, notoriety. And, uh, you know, and it, it certainly outlasted Gomer Pyle in many ways. And you discussed Dan Curtis you know, such a creative force behind Dark Shadows. And just think, yeah. Jim, about a decade later, he would be the driving creative force behind an epic miniseries that aired mm-hmm. on ABC, The Winds of War. Yeah. I can't say enough about him. Uh, he, he launched my career in Hollywood. Uh, he believed in what I could do as an actor. He was always on my side. He always was uh, forthright and honest with me, and uh, you know he he was he the man he could drive you crazy because he had such intensity. Uh, but he, uh, he, you know, if you if you were on his side, and he was on your side. Uh, you had a friend for life, and Dan did some amazing for me, and uh, I owe him my career actually in television and, and film because of Dan. And I, I don't say that lightly. I really heartfelt mean that he, he was an amazing man. Um, and his, uh, you know, warm remembrance and winds of war were epics and, uh, he deserved everything that he received from it. He just, he was just best. Well, that is very high praise, and I thank you for sharing your thoughts on him uh, and his role on your career. 
uh, the impact yeah. on your career. And, and you're right, Jim. I'll tell you what. I am currently viewing the original The Winds of War on DVD. Mm-hmm. I got the whole box set. And I'm re-experiencing mm-hmm. it again because I have a strong interest in World War II history, for one thing. Right. Then you add right. my love for acting, and it's just a wonderful fit. And, and just a, what an amazing project he had to undertake yeah. for that when you think about well, it. The, the book was, I mean, her, uh, uh, Walk really, really captured it. But the War and Remembrance is what Dan's really known for because he was such a uh, uh, spokesman uh, for the Holocaust and what it meant to him personally. And uh, he really, he, he was dying to have that uh, stated. And he did a magnificent job with it. He succeeded. There, there's no question about that. And now I was wondering, Jim, you were on the last season of Dark Shadows. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Now, was there yes. anything to your audition that stands out to you? I mean, to audition yeah. uh, for a show like Dark Shadows might be rather uh, interesting, I would think. Well, I, I, uh, I, you know, I got a call from my agent saying uh, they want you to read for this part. I said, I don't want to do this. I, you know. And, uh, okay, and Linda Otto was casting it, and Linda and I had a relationship as far as uh, working for Alexander Cohen. She was a casting lady, and she put me on a couple on Broadway. So because of her, I said, sure, I'll go in and read for it. But uh, I want you to know I'm leaving uh, a couple of days. I have a ticket to go to, to Germany. I'm playing with a bunch of street musicians in Cohen, uh, and that's what I want to do is just take my guitar and go off and play. And we said, well, read this thing first. And so I went in and I, I met Dan and his feet were up on the desk and he was twirling his hair. And he said, read this thing. And I read it and he said, okay, well, that's pretty damn good. Okay, well, that's fine. So I go back home. Now I had sublet my apartment. And the guy was moving in. The phone rang saying, you can't go to Germany. They want you on Young on uh, uh, Dark Shadows. And I said, but I've got my apartment. He said, well, get your apartment back because you're on the show and you're not going to take off and do this musical thing. So I kind of, I'm annoyed and told the guy I couldn't do it. And then I started on Dark Shadows. And that was it. And did you have any um, uh, experiences with Kate Jackson while you were on Dark Shadows? Yeah, I did. I, I I remember her first audition, auditioning, a screen test. There were three women, and she was one of them. And when she came on to do her scene, I said to whoever I was standing next to, that's the one they're going to pick. Uh, she was, the camera loved her. She had a really naive quality about it that was completely compelling. And, um, you know, she had that Alabama accent, which was always fun. And... Uh, that was it. We became really good friends. Uh, we had a lot of fun together. She had a great sense of humor, and she we shared a lot of the same interests. Photography was one of them. And uh, one day we were doing a scene, and uh, they I had to take her and throw her on the bed, and you know lock the door and stuff like that. Well, the moment I did that, the censors were down in the studio saying, "That's not no no no. You're not doing that." And which is fine with me. I didn't know what that meant. You know, they didn't want any kind of sexual innuendos being played. So they said, well, what are we going to do? He said, hit him on the head with this bottle. And they gave me a breakaway <laughs> bottle. 
And uh, so since Kate was just starting and she went to the Henry Cavill I don't know how, she, darling, just get in. You don't worry. It, it shatters. It won't hurt anybody. It's no problem at all. So it seems this things, and I, I push her, and she grabs the bottle, and she swung, and she hit me in the back of the head with the base of the bottle, which was solid spun sugar, which was glass. It was glass being hit, and it knocked me right out on the floor. And there again, I woke up in the hospital with eight stitches in my head. Oh, my. <laughs> I, hadn't seen, I hadn't seen Kate in 20, 30 years, and we were doing a tribute to Dan Curtis at the Directors Guild in Beverly Hills, and she walked up and said, I, to this day, feel so badly about doing what I did to you. And I said, Kate, I haven't seen you in 30 years, and thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, it's been wonderful listening to your Dark Shadow memories. I did have a final question about Dark Shadows. Sure. And that is, uh, you, you brought up about uh, attending the, um, the uh, fan events and, and all yeah. of the gatherings to honor the show. I'm just wondering, you know, what has that experience been like for you when you uh, interact with the fans and viewers of Dark Shadows over the years? Well, it's wonderful. You know, it's wonderful. They, you, some of these people, you become first name bases. They're always polite. They're always gracious. They're very, very excited. They line up, and you sit up there, and you get them photographs, or you talk to them. Uh, you, you really, you really get down, and it's it's a really wonderful event. And and you talk to people, and they want what you're doing now, and they, you know, they they're incredibly supporting and loving. And I've have never in all the years that I've done them ever ever been disappointed with. The outcome of them, and Jim Pearson, who directs these uh, conferences, is just—he's magnificent, and he always sees to it that the the talent is well taken care of, and and uh, any questions, he's there. It, he, he's a great organizer, and a lot of the Dark Shadows things uh, are dependent on Jim. He's really responsible for making them the success that he's done over the years. Well, before we get to your return to daytime television, Jim, and your involvement with um, the two Bill Bell produced right. mm -hmm. uh, daytime dramas, The Young and the Restless and The Bold and the Beautiful, where you made a huge impact on both shows, I'm just wondering if I could um, ask you about a few primetime shows that you guest starred on, because some of these go way back, and I always think it's um, important to ask actors who have worked on such shows, especially someone as talented as yourself. I'm having such a wonderful time speaking with you today. And, no, and one of you. the, uh, well, you're most welcome. And one of the shows I wanted to ask you about. Jim was Kung Fu, because obviously David Carradine was on the show. Uh, any right. specific memories of working on that show and with David? Yeah, I, I uh, have a, a lot of really... I, I didn't know David very well. Uh, he was a little strange kind of guy. And he, he was... Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, he, he would sit in front of the camera and watch David. And I uh, wouldn't say a word to anybody, just sat there and watched. Now, I, you know, you know, this job in Hollywood is a little unnerving, and, and, uh, but he's distant and, and kind of remote, except for when he had his enemies around, and they were all these hippie types and stuff. And I don't know, it was an uncomfortable feeling to have him around, and I think he treasured that idea. He liked to intend 
but I was uh, I was on the show with Slim Pickens, who was played my brother, or uh, I played his brother, uh, and just knowing Slim and spending a week with him was just worth my entire career. He, he was I I don't even know what to begin to tell you. And now that I've fallen in love with videos, and I realized. You know, because I would have lunch with him, and he and yeah, I used to, uh, you know, I was a bronc, a bronc rider and bull rider, and then I fought bulls, uh, you know, and I acknowledged it, but not to the uh, the importance of what he did uh, today. I mean, he, he's in the Hall of Fame, uh, Cowboy Hall of Fame, uh, Rodeo Hall of Fame. Wonderful time together, and he, he listened and uh, he told stories all the time. He's and a great joke. A great joke. So uh, that was really a plus. And, and working with Robert Foxworth, that, and he and I, you know, he beat me up and I fall off the balcony and, and die. Uh, and watching, you know, watching how it's all put together. It was, a, it was a great experience. I really, really liked it a lot. Say, so they wanted me to keep going. So I did. Oh, sounds very interesting, and you, like you said, you learned a lot with with those yeah. personalities and, and and backgrounds as actors. Um, you know, yeah. even including David, that was probably a learning experience in and of oh, itself. Yeah, and, and and then uh, the two gentlemen that you mentioned—that is just extraordinary. Well, yeah. I would like to ask you about another uh, show, and and this would be Police Woman. With Angie Dickinson, is there any specific memories from appearing on that show? Walked on the set. First of all, I, I did an improvisation for uh, the director, uh, who was a star back in the day when they reveled without a cause. Uh, and uh, he became, I'm sorry, I'm so bad at names. and I'm, it's, it's That's okay. But, uh, and he really liked what I did, so they hired me on the spot. And I came on the set. And this tall blonde came walking up to me and said, Jim Storm, I'm Angie Dickinson, and I just want to welcome you to our show. If there's anything that we can do to make it pleasant, more pleasant for you, just let us uh, just welcome, and, and uh, I really look forward to watching your work. And right after that, Earl Holliman came up to me and said, well, I'm ready to go to work, and I'm really anxious to work with you. And I said, well, girl, I'm thrilled. So, uh, and every single day that I was on the show, which is typical of a week's work, Angie would come up and say, good morning, Jim. She never forgot the name. She never forgot who I was or what I she always asked how I was doing. And although I didn't have any scenes with her, mostly with Pearl, uh, she was always there. And it was, uh, it told me, that these people who have been around for a long time really know why they're around for a long time. They're just the consummate professionals, and she's one of the best. Well, thanks for sharing that, and it's wonderful to hear your description of your experience. experience. Yeah, she she was a a real elegant, classy lady. And Earl, I I don't have enough time words to say to him. He's a beautiful actor, a very smart man. And well educated, and I, I, you know, they're missed. They should, I, I know it's all around, and it would be great to see him working, but I don't think he needs to, and I don't think he wants to, so I don't know. 
Well, this next show, Jim, um, is a show I just enjoyed so much and I still do today. I, I just really think in many ways it's an extra special show or for so many reasons. But one of those reasons was the lead actor, and that's James Garner. Um, I mean, you talk about an actor with very appealing screen presence and, and very talented. What was oh, your um, experience like working on The Rockford Files? Well, uh, I... I, again, was on top of a rooftop, uh, a co-star off the, from jumping and stuff like that. Uh, I was played a cop, and uh, but Garner came up again. He's one of those, you know, I'm, I'm James Garner, and, and I said, well, I'm Jim Storing. He said, well, welcome, Jim, and, you know, this is a, I'm happy to have you aboard. And uh, he, he loved cars, and he loved uh, uh, books and stuff, and I ran into him at the hot dog stand across the street from from uh, uh, Universal, and it's like, you know, your next-door neighbor. I mean, there was nothing off-putting about him. He, he, he was just very open and, and very warm, incredibly warm. And the crew adored him. There's nothing that they wanted for him. It, it was really quite, a, quite an experience, and... Uh, he just said, you know, you're, you're doing good work, dude. You know, welcome to show business. You know, so that meant a lot. I, I would, I'm sorry to say I didn't work with him again. Stuck because as he got older, he became just such an exquisite actor. Uh, you never knew he was acting. It was just wonderful. Well, it warms my heart just to listen to you um, uh, describe all of that. Yeah, uh, and were you was, only on one episode, or did you come back and appear on a few episodes? No, just one. Just, just one. a one. Yeah, yeah. Extremely popular when it was airing as well. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was a good. It was a good uh, part to play, and you know, but they they it was at a time where you did one, and then you'd go to you'd see that you did that, so they put you on this, and then you move over to that one. You know, you you kind of earned a living doing this. You know. But now it's a it's a different animal. It's it's a different episodic. Well, thanks for sharing those memories, Jim. Um, just wonderful memories and, and Thank you. all of your Thank descriptions. You. Now, if we move ahead to the early '80s or getting close to the mid '80s, but let's say the early '80s. You know, I, I was born in the '70s, Jim. But I tell people that I grew up in the '80s. Because basically, when the decade started, I was, you know, nine, and and then in 1981, I was ten. So um, I'm just giving away my age as well. well but, your, um, <laughs> your math is better than mine. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it was just a fascinating decade. I tell my son this all the time, of just all the shows that came on the air, and, and all of the different movies and music. It was just a very interesting time. And mm -hmm. when you look back with with Hollywood productions. And if, if I move forward to the, you know, uh, towards the late 80s, I, I, I discovered a show uh, on daytime titled The Young and the Restless. And um, 
I would like to discuss this with you. I know you were on much earlier than the late 80s, I believe 1983. But I thought I would let you know, Jim, before I ask you about your time on Y&R, one of the reasons that I kept wanting to watch The Young and the Restless as, as a young guy in the 80s is that I was intrigued by these close camera shots, this music, the talented actors, and storylines that captivated my imagination. So I wanted to share with you, you know, what was appealing about The Young and the Restless for me. However, you had already left the show. So unfortunately, I did not get to experience Neil Finmore uh, mm. while you were airing. But I have read a lot about your character. And I thought I would ask you, when did the, uh, the opportunity arrive for you to audition? You know, is there a story there? And, and what was it like when you first started working on The Young and the Restless? I, I was um, asked to go uh, uh, come in. And it wasn't a reading. It was just to meet the uh, producer and uh, the writing team and stuff like that. And it was a general, you know, hello, how are you? And this is Jim. And, and Wes was, uh, at that time, I don't know if you uh, Wes Kenny is the gentleman's name who brought me in, and I've known Wes for years. I did ABC Movie of the Week for him, and we became good friends. And this opportunity to come in and meet these people, there's no job in, intended or anything like that. And uh, so I left, and I didn't, I didn't know what this was about, and I, you know, wasn't clear about anything. And it was a time in my life where uh, the, you know, the career was at a very slow, low ebb, and. Uh, and nothing was going on. And um, uh, then I got a call. Uh, I won't tell you the whole story, but it was, uh, it was a surprise. And uh, they said that they wanted me to come on uh, Young and the Restless for, you know, to do the show. Would I do this part? And I said, sure. So I came back to it, and uh, um, I, I did it. And uh, I was played Neil Fenmore, who was some big closing and uh, I loved the actors. The actors were wonderful. Uh, they had another show a couple of years later called Bold and Beautiful. And next thing I know, the casting guy called me and said, uh, they want you to read for this part. So I said, okay. And I, uh, they were giving me directions. And I said, that's not the way it should be done. I think, I mean, this guy has a lot of angst behind him and he has a lot of, he's very aggressive. I, that's the way I want to, that's my choice. And Bill came up, and uh, you know, I, I auditioned for the entire CBS crew and, and all of that. And it, you know, he he was watching it, and I did the audition. They gave me the part. I'm a professional. I show up. I do my lines. I do my part. I do my work. And you, you and you did it well. I mean, I that's so. the yeah. biggest under uh, statement I've maybe ever made. You, you were exceptional you. Uh, well, with your performance fine. as Bill Spencer Senior. Absolutely yeah. exceptional. I have to say to you that, you know, I was there at the beginning of The Bold and the Beautiful because, like I mentioned, I was already watching Y&R. And, mm -hmm. and Bill and Bell had, of course, complete control, the producer and head writer, heavily involved with this production. And you were there on episode one, right from the right. beginning. Major character. You are not right. window dressing. You are a big part of the beginning of The Bold and the Beautiful. And I have to tell you, Jim, when I think back to those first handful of episodes, the thing that fascinated me about you is that I, I, I don't think, you know, I had, um, let me put it this way. Your on-screen intensity 
just completely amazed me. I just thought mm. you were very intense. Many of your scenes, for example, with Ron Moss in, in those scenes where you're being protective of your daughter, because mm. uh, that is the pr- premise of the beginning of the show. And um, but you know what, Jim, you you impressed me with your tenderness as well, with, especially with um, your, your character's daughter, Caroline Spencer. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, when you think back, I'm, I'm very excited to ask you, what was it like working with Johanna Johnson, who portrayed Caroline Spencer? Well, you know, I, I kind of took a patriotic level with Johanna. She was the first job. She was a student out of SC. Um, she didn't know anything about anything as far as acting and stuff. Uh, she had a big heart. And we just, we just liked each other. We liked each other. The first time I took her out for breakfast at, at, before we shot our first scene, just to get to know each other and just to, you know, and I liked her enormously from that point. And, uh, you know, we just started working and, and, uh, she, uh, she respected me tremendously and I certainly respected her. And I thought it was a wonderful relationship that we had going for our see that there's a care for each of us towards each other uh, in the work. And I think that's what, I mean, that was the little drive of the show. And the show, and the, the, those two characters were only be on the show for six weeks. And uh, the, that's what later found out, that this was just a, a temporary family that, you know, to launch the other family in a bigger, bigger arena. But when they saw what was happening between Joanna and myself and, and the story, they just kept building it and building building. And, of course, when she dies, I mean, the whole world fell apart. So, you know. It was heartbreaking. I, I yeah. remember. It was just, it was truly heartbreaking. And I have to say, I found her performance just really impressive. Really yeah. comes across yeah, she, as bright and intelligent and, of course, beautiful actress. And, and your chemistry with Joanna, Jim, yeah. was one thing that stands out in my mind, is yeah, that you two just seem to click so well together, right from the yeah, start. We, we just had a, a real nice rapport. There was no, uh, you know, nothing to, you know, if something bothered her, she'd let me know. And if uh, something bothered me, I'd let her know. And it was never animosity. It was always, okay, well, let's try this. Uh, there was never any aging or competition. Um, I was really saddened that when she, you know, passed off. But she wanted to move on to do other things. I think she's producing and writing now. Um, I haven't seen her, spoken to her in years. But uh, I know that she's in good hands and she's doing really well. So, you know. I'm glad to hear that. And the the gentleman that I mentioned earlier, Ron Moss, was his character, Ridge Forrester, was pursuing um, Caroline Spencer. And and Ridge had quite the reputation, and Bill was all over that. Um, And you two had quite, uh, you know, the intense scenes in the the early days in particular. And what are your memories of working with Ron? With Ron? uh, I, I, you know, Ron is very quiet. He's very shy. Um, he, he liked me tremendously. Yeah. He knew that what I was doing was, it was personal to happening to me and he was not afraid to take it on. Um, but we never, you know, it was always amicable. He was always, he was professional to the core and he was very thankful he had a job and he was very thankful that 
what was going on for him, uh, you know, was something that he really treasured. And um, I, I really enjoyed him. I had, I, I used, like I say, he was, a, he, he was distant in a, in a shy way. But if you talk music to him, if you talk to him, if he was a filmmaker, he wanted to be a filmmaker. Uh, he would, you know, get engaged. But for the most part, we just kind of say hello to each other. We laughed a lot. And when we had these hot scenes together and, and tempers, and especially mine, uh, he was right there with me. He, he he was not backing down one bit, and it, that even fueled me more. So I, I really, <laughs> I, I enjoyed him tremendously. You both had fantastic scenes. I remember them so well. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I always, I was very impressed with Ron over the years because I just thought he got better and better. Oh, and absolutely. in some ways, probably one of the more underappreciated actors, very popular, don't get me wrong, but as far as what he accomplished as an actor, I think sometimes I it gets overlooked a little bit. I absolutely agree wholeheartedly. I agree with you. Well, thank I, you, Jim. I, I, and. And there's a beautiful lady. Boy, that show lived up to its title, didn't it? You, I mean, you must have really enjoyed going to work for all these beautiful ladies everywhere. And, yeah. and Lorne Coslow, who portrayed Margot, you had a, a you know, in the, in the early days, you, your characters were, you know, uh, involved with each other. And, and, and what are your memories of working with her? Well, Lorne, uh, <laughs> restless and uh we didn't work together but we would you know her then to be husband nick scalacci was in maine and for some reason we all three just kind of hit it off you know and I and, see. and then we did bold and beautiful lauren was brought on to do this this character and we became closer and closer and closer and good friends and to this day i mean i was there when her her two children were born. Uh, you know, I've known her for 40 years and, uh, we, uh, she, she's a real big supporter of my photography and, uh, and we've spent a lot of time together and she's a very dear friend and, and she and her husband are just two very special and we talk all the time. So. Well, she gave a gr- fantastic performance. I really enjoyed yeah, her character. She did. She, uh, I don't think they're using her quite the way they could use her on Days of Our Lives. But that's, you know, writers, and then she goes, uh, you know, they, they kind of took a lot of starch out of her. She, she's, she survives, and she's a survivor, and she's, she'll keep going. She sure will. And do you mind if I ask you about Daniel McVicker? No, not at all. Because I know that you had a lot of great scenes with him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's, he was just—he—he was a just good, weathered friend. He was just a guy that was very lucky, and uh, you know, he looked like Rock Hudson. He was tall and handsome, and uh, very funny guy. And he loved what he did, and he loved the people he was talking to. He—he uh, he just, uh, you know, he had a—he—he he was just a, a decent guy, decent guy, and he had a wife, two kids, and. Unfortunately, the marriage broke apart, and he had a tragedy with his with his family. And uh, he's now living in Italy, I believe. He's remarried, and Italy. Uh, but and I have last time I saw Dan was uh, when I was living in Italy, and he was doing a, a trade show, and I was there doing the same kind of thing. 
and uh, we talked about it and you know our history on on B and D and and where he was now and he you know he speaks fluent Italian and uh, he just fell in love with the country and, and decided this is where I want to be so he's there. But very I, talented I man. He's a wonderful guy. Yes, and wasn't it interesting, Jim? When you think back of 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 how much you know Clark Garrison could be devious, he took lying to an art form. As an actor, I mean, oh, yeah. he had some great scenes, always well, covering know, his tracks. Yes, Stephen, it was really up to to come up with the idea because the writers would just write this stuff, and it was us up to us to interpret it the way that we wanted to. And I would sometimes get in fights with the producers because they wanted to go certain very conventional way. I said, "No, I, that's not, not. I can't do that." And I would give them you know, a reason why I chose this choice in, in the work. And uh, they sometimes would call Bill. And, uh, you know, he'd say, no, just let them do what they're doing. That, that's fine. Or, or he would say, no, I agree with what they're doing. And then you acquiesce. But, uh, they, and he, that, he was really good at taking stuff and making it for himself. Well, this next lady is someone that um, has shown me so much support and encouragement, professionally and, and personally, and that is Carrie Mitchum. She can mm. often be heard doing show uh, greetings here on Hollywood and Beyond, including this episode, Jim. And um, I have to tell you, it's just been amazing that she has been just uh, so supportive towards me. And, and, and I always enjoy talking with Carrie. You know, when I had Carrie Mitchum on a, a while back, I, I told her... Uh, um, how much uh, I, I would want to have you on the show one day. And she just had the yeah. most wonderful things to say about you. Well, the feeling's mutual. I really adore Carrie. She's a great young lady. And uh, it was a real, you know, it was one of the first jobs that she had. And uh, it was, a, she, she was really, we had a wonderful time together. She was very, very open and vulnerable. And, and I really, really liked her a lot. And, and she yeah. told me about your guitar, Jim, that, that uh, she has memories of you and your guitar. Yeah, yeah. I'd sit in the dressing room. And I, was, I was taking uh, uh, bluegrass lessons from a guy uh, who later became Ben Skills' lead guitar player and for a while. And now uh, out in, in Nashville songs. But, yeah, I, I played guitar for years. And I take it to the dressing room and work on it and play it, and it was a, a form of relaxation for me. I, I performed in public, but I don't really, I don't really, really enjoy it that much. Uh, I just like to play for myself. Well, thanks for sharing that about Carrie. I appreciate it, and oh, I did yeah, want to ask you about two more cast members, if you don't mind. Sure, and sure. The the next one is um, I'll tell you what, uh, Jim. When I first saw her on the screen, and if memory serves me right, it's funny how I remember these things, Jim. People often tell me they can't believe I remember these kind of moments, but I don't even think she was in quote unquote lots of makeup and hair and all that. She was just kind of her, and and that's. Terry Ann Lynn, the original Kristen Forrester. Oh, I, I've oh. also heard from Terry, um, who has been very supportive of my show as well. So I would like to thank Terry now. But I, I remember that oh. you had some scenes with her because her character became friends with Caroline. What are your memories of working with her? 
Well, first of all, she she is one of those that has been blessed with just pretty looks, pretty face, and it goes inside of her. I mean, she she was uh, just a lovely, 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 very down to earth, and very wholesome, and uh, a great athlete, great player. Uh, had the the possibility, I think it was at, at Farmer's Market, she was out there and she wanted me to meet her mother and father who had come in from Hawaii and that's where they were living and uh, and the mother looks, uh, Terry looks very much like her mother and father was, I think a stepfather, was, uh, they, they were just gracious people, very, very loving people. I liked her, uh, in fact I, I had written a show that really got very close to being produced uh, and one of the characters I wanted Terry Ann to play, and she read it, she loved it, and so she would farm it around to producers who uh, she thought might might benefit on it. She was very giving, an incredibly giving person. Uh, I don't know where, where she is today, but I know that she's doing very well because she's just she's just one of those individuals you like, you know, you just like. Yes. Her. She's been she's been very friendly and courteous and fun to communicate yeah. with, and and, well, and I really enjoyed listening to you. Uh, my best. Hey, you? I, I, I you read my mind, Jim, because I, I was just thinking I'm going to send Terry a message and and let her know that Jim Storm had all these wonderful things to say about. Oh her. yeah, I I really liked her a lot. She's a good 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 hearted person, a good kid, and very honest. And you know, she was just out to what she wanted to do, and she. She did it well. She was really quite a quite a professional. Well, this other gentleman, uh, Jim, also appeared on The Young and the Restless, like yourself. And I believe he would show up from time to time as a prosecuting attorney. And I wanted to bring up, I'm not sure if you will recall this, but it was a wild scene between you and his character. Uh, Blake Hayes was the character, and the actor is is Peter Brown, and you had this big fist fight confrontation. I always thought it was very wild because it just got really out of hand, and it's just kind of one of those scenes I remember. Uh, any memories of working with Peter? <laughs> yeah, Peter was just you know he's a he you know this guy he was found by Jack Warner in a gas station when he was a kid. You know, he grew up in Hollywood. He did all those beach party movies, all those stupid films, and once in a while he'd get something decent. But Peter was just, he was just the, an old pro, and he was wow. well, just charming as could be. And we had to <laughs> share a dressing room at one Oh, point. wow. And uh, he, he, I really, I dug him. I really, I, I often wondered yeah. what happened. He left the show, and I think, I think he's passed away now. I'm not sure. I believe but so. Nothing. Nothing but uh, admiration for him. But when it came to the fight scene, uh, you know, I had done my share of stunt fighting uh, before, but not like Peter. Peter was a perfectionist, and he wanted it exactly. And I would throw a punch, and it's not going to read that way. It's gonna... So we spent a lot of time in, in backpedaling, and it got very cumbersome. And uh, I was getting frustrated. I said, Jesus, I'm going to hit him anyway. <laughs> But uh, oh. we, we, he staged it. He wanted to control it, and uh, he did it. I think he did a very nice job with it. He was very. He was frustrated because I wasn't giving him exactly the the, the take that he wanted. But <laughs> we did what we did, and he 
he was lovely. He was just a lovely man. I, I enjoyed listening to that. Thank you. And I, I believe he passed away just a few years ago. And yeah. uh, he had that uh, intense on-screen presence, much like yourself. And I've never forgotten that scene. I thought it was pretty wild. I, there's old yeah. Bill, Bill Spencer taking him on, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Laramie Project, you know, he he was uh, he did some show like that, Laramie or something for Warner Brothers. And, you know, he was a good, he was just a good guy guy and a funny man great sense of humor so we we got along very well and i i'm saddened when i that he passed away that's too bad he was buying land up in telluride up in colorado there Hmm. well jim um listening to these memories are is just so emotional and enjoyable thank you so much Uh, the decision to leave bold and beautiful was that your own or did the show just tell you that they've decided to go in different directions yeah i got a call uh you know after all of this stuff and i guess i've been on for i don't know how many years and bill called and said uh we're gonna go a different direction uh two years passed and they got a call and uh and they said, Bill, uh, Jim, this is Bill Bell. I want you back on the show. And that's when he brought Caroline back and Peter Brown and all that kind of stuff. But then that's after cool. that, over, um, I kind of faded out and, uh, uh, back. And, uh, and then, uh, years later, they finally did away with Bill Spencer. Um, and so that's. So. Before I ask you about your photography, Jim, and. And, sure. and what life is like today. Um, I did thought I would go ahead and ask you, um, have you been able to see much of uh, the actor that portrays your character's son, Don Diamant, also a connection to Y&R? And you appeared, again, on videotape, I believe, with instructions for his character. Um, right. Have you been able to see much of Don's performance? No. Uh, I died on, on uh, Y&R, and then I did the, the video for him, you know, give him the instructions. But I talked to him since then. They, I see. They, they taped it. I shot it. And it was the last time I was in the uh, Well, I, I have I to tell you, Jim, I was sad I to see your character go. Well, you left a footprint. Um, because when I think of the bold and the beautiful, and especially the early days, I mean, you instantly come to mind. So, thank you. Um, thank you, thank- Stephen. I appreciate it. It was You're a fun show welcome. to do to a point, you know. It was really. I, I liked all that stuff I could do with my daughter and and the animosity and all of that. I, I liked the whole layout of it. It was really fun, and I loved working with Carrie in a in my pornography business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, God. that was a unique uh, storyline for sure. It was yeah, quite it was, a twist. It was a wonderful story. It was a, the, those early times were the. They were fun. Yeah, they were fun. They were fun. And uh, you couldn't wait to see what happened next. And um, and uh, you just gave a strong performance. I mean, well, thank you. That's the way I describe it. Strong and memorable performance. And you helped make the show what it is today, because the early years are very important for a brand new show. And and you have helped make the bold and beautiful uh, shine I'd like today. To, I, yeah, thank you, Stephen. I'd like to think that, you know, we contributed something to it. You know, a lot of people did. A lot of people put their hearts and souls into it. and Some stayed and some went. But uh, Right. 
I'm well, Jim, tell us about your photography, uh, sure. this incredible um, uh, you know, chapter of your life. You've, you've shared with us the early years, how you became interested, but I've looked at these photos, and I, I'm really impressed. So well, would you like you. to go ahead and let the listeners know about photography today? Sure, sure. I, you know, I was just kind of wondering what I'm, you know, and that I'm living in Hollywood. You know, I have this camera, and I... I would really like to understand what photography is, what film is. What, you know, I'd like to know about photography. So I enrolled in Los Angeles City College, and Dan Marlis was my professor at the department. And, uh, you know, the old on the campus, and that's no joke. I really, I mean, I didn't see anybody you know, older than me. I fell in love with black and white. The basic elements of photography, and uh, he was incredibly supportive and very tough on me. Um, and we just had a wonderful relationship. And one of the job, uh, about I guess it was my third year, my assignment that I made for myself was to jump on Greyhound bus uh, and uh, have people on a journey. Uh, an event. This was uh, Billings, Montana, to photograph the Nile Rodeo. Uh, get backstage to that friends of mine that were running the rodeo and allowed me to do that. So I went, took a Greyhound bus, which was quite an experience, and I went up to Montana and I, and I came back, photographed people going back, and then I put it all together for my final uh, program for the for the show. It took me a year to put it up and, and do it. And uh, Dan Marlowe saw it and he said, uh, "Yeah, this is this is this is wonderful." And that was it. <laughs> it was a quick A. Uh, and then I quit. You know, I, I was finished with the school, the program, and then I went back on a Greyhound bus to do something in Nebraska. I did that, and that got me connected with the Native American culture, and I started uh, hanging out up in Pine Ridge with the family up there and photographing them and and, uh, uh, and rodeos and stuff. And uh, for the last five years, I've been up in, in that area of Montana and North Dakota, South Dakota. I was at uh, Standing Rock, um, and the, the love of my life was with me now, uh, Valerie. Uh, joined me for Standing Rock, and uh, she's just she's the reason why I'm doing it. You know, she makes it all. It's really her um, her enthusiasm for my work and her work that keeps us alive. And uh, I owe her an enormous amount of uh, uh, love and gratification. And it's it, she's just been absolutely fantastic. So I, um, so that's what we're doing. We're 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 going around the country. I'm working on a project called Small Town uh, of towns that have been hit economically, that uh, you know that have uh, kind of fighting to survive and uh, the reason for it and all of that. So we're going to be spending not this summer, but probably in the fall, going up into these areas. Uh, I want to photograph the automobile industry and the towns that have been damaged by the, the recent layoffs and stuff like that and talk to people and photograph it. So 
those are some of the projects we have in mind. Uh, we did do a rodeo uh, show here in Venice, California, um, and uh, it was a culmination of uh, five years of work with rodeos uh, in the arena and behind the arena. And I'm proud to say, and I'm usually very self-critical, it was really a staggering show, and we had 99% uh, of the reason why it was successful was her work in pull it, pulling it off. So um, it was a very successful show, and I'm looking forward to doing some more. And what is it about the rodeo circuit that you find intriguing, Jim? Um, I think the camaraderie. I think that even though it's a competition, that people, what's most important are your fellow riders, the people that you're working with, and the animals. Um, it's a real myth to say that these are abused animals and they're treated badly. I've gone through the big, uh, big national rodeos in Cheyenne and all of these places, and I've done the small speaker in Colorado. Uh, and those, there's vets there watching those animals. They really have a respect for it, and alone uh, tells me a lot about it. Uh, it's a culture that Stephen, you know, I, when I first started, I was so intimidated by it. I was, it's a world I had no idea what these people were. And as I got into it more and more, I see what stellar athletes, are, how brilliant they are on horses, horses uh, the respect they have for the, each other, and most that they they you know have competition with it it's an extraordinary thing and there's a morality about it that is i i just think it's fantastic you know sure they party but they 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 care about each other they care about their families and uh it, it's it, it just the american west you know well, how can folks out there, if they would like to view these some of these photos for themselves, Jim, would there be a website or uh, yeah, a Facebook I'm, page they could visit? Yeah, I'm I'm uh, in the process. We keep talking about it, and we get sidetracked. I'm I'm working on a website. Uh, actually, Valerie is uh, where we'll we'll put uh, we'll put them up, and uh, you know, and tell people about them, and if they're interested in in purchasing, there's possibility too um but i i want to write little stories about each each uh each print to let people know what what, what this is about but uh, i'm working on a website to answer your question and uh yeah, i'll get it done before the summer i mean for the september jim i I think this might be a good opportunity for me to ask this question before we conclude and that is um, is acting still something that you are interested in doing if the right role comes along? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has to be something that I, I want to do. I'm at a point now where I, I don't want to do things that, I mean, like for theatrically, I, there are a handful of writers that I would like to work with that I, you know, uh, work with my son being one of them. Uh, that I'm very interested in doing. Uh there's an interesting film, and I have a rapport with the director, then I'm up there. But uh, to go on call or, you know, uh, television stuff that really has much significance except a paycheck, uh, I'm not interested in that. So 
I'd rather stay, you know, focused on my photography. Well, I admire and respect that because that means you, you want quality work, quality opportunities. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a real stickler because I, I, I want, you know, quality work. But I want to see quality work. Yeah, I want to be a part of it, but I want to see it, you know. And a lot of times you, you don't see that. So uh, that's something I have control over. And <laughs> for 50-some-odd years, other people have had control over it. Now it's my turn. <laughs> well, you've you've always added quality to any project you've worked on. Oh, thank you, on. Steve, and it's very kind of you. Thank you. And when I think back to um, all those scenes on the bold and the beautiful in your character, the memories are, are they just go on and on. No, it's that's just very um, kind. Well, you're most welcome, and it's been a complete honor. And oh. um, this is a conversation I will always uh, treasure. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I, I want to just say I, I so appreciate the time and your your questions are very in, engaging and it's made it a real pleasant and very joyous uh, experience for me. And I, I thank you so much, Stephen. I really do. And please say hello to people that we've, we've talked about. If they, they talk to you, uh, you know, that would be wonderful. I'd like to just say hello to them. I sure will, Jim, and and please give Valerie my best as well. She's I been will. wonderful to communicate with. Oh yes, she she's the best. She's really the best. Send host Stephen Brittingham your comments and questions to Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon.